Welcome back to the Vizient Member-Backed Ventures Venture Sprout Podcast channel. I'm your host, Crystal Mollis, Vice President of Member-Backed Ventures. Today, my co-host, Heather Ramirez, will continue to drive the conversation around care at home. Thank you, Crystal. Today's conversation is a continuation of understanding the care at home landscape. If you have not listened to episode one, which covered market forces, industry trends, disruptive players, driving care to shift at home, we encourage you to check it out. Our focus on care at home cannot be more perfect given the extensions recently issued through the signed omnibus spending bill. Hospitals get wins in extension of telehealth and hospital at home programs through December 31st, 2024. The legislation extends waivers for both programs that were put in place under the public health emergency. This is very exciting news for our healthcare providers, and I'm super thrilled and excited to be joined by expert and industry leader, Jamie Zage, principal at SG2. Jamie has been monitoring emerging policies, payment, regulatory, and market dynamics around care shifts. Jamie, thank you for being here today. Happy to be here, Heather. So let's start, Jamie, by having our listeners learn a little bit more about you. Tell us about your background, how long you've worked in healthcare, and some of your interest in emerging care models. Sure. So my interest in healthcare goes back to my graduate school days where I actually did a disease-based research. But 20 years ago, I made the shift to working for SG2 and looking at those emerging care delivery trends and how emerging technology changes in the way we design care can actually impact how and where care is delivered. And that really has been, I think, a really big part of my focus at SG2 really for the past 20 years. When I started at SG2, we were very inpatient focus, really focused on what was happening inside the hospital, inside the four walls. And I would say probably about 15 years ago, we made the shift to also include the ambulatory landscape as well. And I had created a couple of briefings, short reports, we called them focus reports at the time, that were focused on neurosciences specific care paths, Alzheimer's disease and neurodegenerative diseases, as well as stroke and others as well. But the idea here was that if we look across the care continuum, we can better have an impact on inpatient utilization. We can avoid unnecessary utilization. It was really prominent in some of the early research, in particular with Alzheimer's disease. If we could actually get in front of the disease, we could change the trajectory of how patients experience the disease and how they use healthcare throughout. So that very deep example. But I've continued to do that over the years, focusing on neurosciences, behavioral health, and most recently, post-acute and care at home, which I know is our topic for today. And that care at home landscape is really an emerging space right now, really a hot topic for our members. Agree. There's so much momentum here and it's fascinating how your interest in this space started around a specific disease condition and now your knowledge is a lot more expansive. So excited for you to share more with our listeners. So for healthcare providers that, to our point earlier, there's a lot of momentum, there's a lot of excitement, looking to prioritize and execute strategies around care at home. What does specific models look like? Help us understand what some of these strategic imperatives are and specifically, what are some of the clinical shifts that you're seeing really drive this interest to providers wanting to be a part of this new movement in driving care to the home? 
um, I'm going to dissect that a little bit. I think the first is what are the imperatives? And so if we think about what's important for organizations as they get into the care at home space, it's really to understand why they're doing it. What are they hoping to achieve at getting into care at home? This should not be looked at as a point solution just to solve your capacity issues, but a full on envelope strategy, a portfolio is what we refer to it, a portfolio of options that you provide across the continuum to your patients, your consumers, in order to better enhance access, to better enhance what you're trying to do as a health system. So getting back to your strategic goals is the fundamental component of it. It's also really important to understand that what you do in the home is not exactly what you're doing in the facility-based world. So there are some differences. There are different ways that you can do it. And that is also true because we have a different payment landscape. It's really just an emerging payment landscape. So it is a time of vast innovation right now. And if you've seen one care at home model, you've seen one care at home model. So you really have to look at how are you going to make it work for your organization, knowing that the payment and reimbursement landscape is going to continue to evolve. How does it work for you today? Stay attuned to it as you move forward so that you understand how that's going to change over time. The shifts that we're seeing in the home are less about the clinical conditions and more about the other patient characteristics. Now, certainly some organizations, if you take a hot, shiny object right now, hospital at home, there's sort of a core set of clinical conditions that most organizations start with, like pneumonia and CHF and COPD, sepsis, cellulitis, maybe end-stage renal disease. Those are some of the ones that we see organizations starting with, but that's just because you got to start really small in order to get your nuts and bolts working together and getting everything working so that you can start to expand it and it moves pretty quickly. The way that we see organizations really targeting care at home is more based on, as I said, population characteristics and patient characteristics. So for instance, through our recent strategy accelerator, we understood from those participants and we had almost 50 participating organizations that they were focused on most likely the over 65, probably Medicare, and also in a lot of cases, if we were talking about primary care at home or some of the other more chronic disease management type activities in the home, maybe even the homebound. So really thinking about the social determinant issues that make that patient a good target for care at home because you can improve the value of the care that you're giving. You can overall reduce the total cost of care and move your organization forward. And even if you're not in value-based care, by avoiding admissions on those low or negative margin patients, that's value to you because you can open up capacity for some of those higher margin patients. Starting with your strategic why makes a ton of sense to me. I know that you recently led an initiative where you were actually able to engage with some of the leading healthcare organizations across the nation. And I would love for you to help our listeners understand some of those key lessons that you heard and some of the key takeaways. I mean, some of your earlier points around the regulatory payment landscape is just emerging. There's a lot of regulatory uncertainties. There's probably some staffing challenges that come with this. How can you put some of our listeners to ease around how they get started for those that have gotten started. So what were some keys to success to keep their program sustainable as they think about staying out in front of this shift, given that if you agree with me, that this movement's probably not going to go away anytime soon. It's probably here to stay. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There are some key findings from our work with those nearly 50 participants. And one of them is that it's still a very payment uncertain landscape. Absolutely. Even with hospital at home where there is a fee for service payment right now, once the public health emergency expires, we don't know yet whether that's going to get extended. There's bipartisan support to do so, but Congress has not acted to make that happen yet. So we expect that they will. That's the expectation that we hear from our policy experts at Visi but it's not a done deal yet. And what it will look like, will it be at the full DRG reimbursement or will it be with a discount? All of those still being unknowns. So the payment uncertainty is certainly something that is top of mind. And that is one of the things that I think is holding a lot of organizations back. And that's where the value-based care organizations are really able to kind of take on some different things because they have a little bit more flexibility under those value-based payment models. A couple of the other key insights is that one, this is a pretty significant opportunity. And we recently did a webinar highlighting the insights from our six-week program. And there are significant opportunities in spaces like primary care at home, in rehab or skilled nursing at home, or even hospital at home, in terms of the volume of patients who you can either avoid an inpatient admission on that primary care at home, or that can be an admission to a rehab have situation or a hospital situation that can happen in that virtual home bed. There's a huge volume that opens up a lot of bed days for organizations. But as you look at it at the market landscape and what patients are really clinically appropriate, it is much bigger than any organization has the resources to be able to really meet that demand, at least in the near term. And so it really becomes important then to figure out how you're going to find focus. So we talked about those patient segments, segmenting by patients, but also knowing where, which types of care at home services you're going to invest in. Is it going to be primary care at home first? Or maybe it's more of some of the on-demand type activities like lab at home or urgent care at home. It could be that you do go hospital at home first, but that is probably the most intensive area to invest in first. So the other key insight is how you leverage partnerships. And so if you need to move quickly, if you want to move into a hospital at home situation, but don't have the time or the resources to invest in that infrastructure, then a partner may be able to help you get there. It doesn't have to be a long-term partnership. Maybe they're just helping you stand it up. And over time, you kind of take on that management responsibility yourself. But partners can help you with staffing. They can help you with payer contracting, which can help with that payment outlook. They can help you with the infrastructure. Care at home is really complex to be able to manage and coordinate. Some of the more full-on partners have those solutions to be able to do and support those activities. Or you might actually go with more point solution partnerships if you've got a lot of the pieces in place, but you don't have all the components. And I know a lot of the resources that you all talk about in, on Venture Sprout, some of them fit in those point solutions and some of them span those full continuum support partners as well. So those partners can be one of the key pieces. And 50% of organizations in our strategy accelerator on Care at Home are using or plan to use partnerships to help fill out the continuum of resources that they need, the services, the infrastructure. So that's pretty significant to move into this space. And in some cases, it's partner or get bumped out of the market. And in some cases, this is how we get there or this is how we get there faster. 
One of the other insights that I think was a real aha for our members, and we heard it from many of our participating members as we got to the end of the six weeks, is the importance of thinking as a portfolio. A lot of organizations we've talked to through our research over the last year, 18 months, have really been looking at it as, oh, I'm going to look at hospital at home, or I'm going to look at this. Really thinking about it at that higher level across the continuum of options and understanding where your organization can go first and what it can follow with and sequence those investments is really important. Having that big picture idea, vision for where you want to go with Care at Home can really help an organization because having that landscape and having components across the system of care that you can provide in the home helps you get to scale, helps you leverage efficiencies. So if you are going to invest in some of those virtual digital platforms, for instance, the more places that you can use them, you can get those economies of scale. You covered a lot of information here. I'm hearing a couple of things to maybe synthesize a little bit. One is starting with the vision, identify your key population segments, and then key services that you want to invest in to initiate and or scale your care at home model. And the other piece that I think is really important for members to understand is this partnership piece. There's some organizations are looking to build and or start their own program. And we're seeing that throughout the market. But the partnership piece and the investment piece I think is something that we spend a lot of time looking at in terms of how providers are leveraging technology solutions to achieve their strategies and initiatives in this space. But we're also seeing that there's a lot of disruptors getting involved in this space. Brianna talked a lot about the payers. There's VCs that are interested. So we're seeing a lot of disruptors get active in this space as well. So we're seeing payers become supportive of this movement. We're seeing big tech and retail start to build out their strategies in this space. As we wrap up here, anything that you would want to leave our providers in terms of they know that this is an important opportunity for them. Is this a wait and see what the market does if I'm not already taking movements in their space? Or would you recommend that an organization needs to start now? They shouldn't wait. What are your thoughts with helping providers be successful so that they're not displaced in their market around this movement? Right, right. No, that's a great question. And first on the disruption, I think there's a lot of opportunity, even for your traditional disruptors, for instance, to come into play here. And so watching what's happening, and I think you're alluding to this and sort of, you don't want to be left behind. And I'll just give you a little example here. As we're looking at the space that many call sniff at home. Now there's no payment for sniff at home, like there is hospital at home. It's really rehab in the home. But most of the organizations that are doing this are actually actually big home health companies, big home care companies. It's not our health system providers. It's these home care companies that are coming in and starting to chip at the skilled nursing space because there's an opportunity there. So this is going to be a very dynamic space over the coming decade. The payment isn't certain. So we're going to see lots of shifting and shuffling over the next several years as we define what this looks like. That's why I say it's important to maybe you don't jump into it and invest in it, but you need to take a look at it and understand what you could be doing, what infrastructure you already have in place that if you might want to go there, if you're sort of taking a wait and see, is there infrastructure that you can add that will add benefit somewhere else? So for instance, some of our foundation pieces that we think are critical for care at home. Home health is one of those, but we're not necessarily making the case that everybody goes by as a home health company or invests in home health. But virtual health, remote patient 
patient monitoring, those virtual digital platforms that patients use to access services, to schedule their services, those become some of the foundational infrastructure for care at home that certainly serve all your bricks and mortar care as well. So starting there, even if you aren't ready to dive into shifting care to the home, is a good place. But start to put together your overarching landscape. And think about care at home in a way that is different than we did with virtual health. So the thing about care at home is we have an opportunity to learn from some of our mistakes in adopting virtual health. We saw across organizations, virtual telemedicine, virtual health popping up as little point solutions for stroke in the ED for behavioral health for your CHF patients. And every service line had their own program process. It was not integrated at the organization level. You had a lot of redundancy, but you also had systems that wouldn't talk to each other. So with care at home, we are at a place where we have an opportunity to say, instead of creating these point solutions where, okay, population health wants to get in front of it with some primary care at home type work. Oh, and then we've got urgent care at home because we want to alleviate the thing in the ED. Well, those should be linked. We should be using similar systems so that patient, regardless of where in their care at home journey, kind of plug in in the same way and that providers are using the same back end pieces as well becomes really important for helping you get to efficiencies. So that overarching piece is really important. That's why I say early planning, know where you want to go, be deliberate about making a decision on the timing, whether it's get into it now, wait a few years, maybe it's wait and see for X, Y, and Z to happen. That becomes what we would recommend is sort of the do now moving forward. Because for some given tight margins, investing heavily in something that isn't going to reap some benefits for you in the short term is probably not the best way to go. And the workforce shortage and I would say workforce challenges that we have are not necessarily going to be fixed by care at home. It could alleviate things in some ways, but it is really just shifting how we deliver care. Doesn't necessarily mean that we deliver different or less care to patients and that we need less providers. I love how you concluded with helping us understand how we can leverage lessons learned from our response to COVID, standing up virtual care, trying to improve access, achieve efficiencies, and overall just provide better patient care. A couple of things that stood out to me that I'd like to wrap up with, if that's okay, would be around how you acknowledge that there's opportunities for organizations to prioritize specific services where there's revenue or margin opportunities. And you started talking about economies of scale. For those that are able to take action in this space now, and to your point, everyone might move at their own step, but there's opportunities for all of us to set our strategy and put that into motion. How do we create a successful business case? How do we identify, start thinking about return on investment? What does a sustainable business model look like? Did you learn anything from that accelerator that you mentioned earlier that you could share with us to keep us positive about some of the successes that we can anticipate achieving? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a couple of components to that. So from the financial sustainability perspective, it's really important, given the payment uncertainty, that you don't just lean on, is it going to cover its own costs? I think right now you've got to look at getting reimbursed for what you can. Absolutely. Downstream revenue generation. So if you open up capacity and you can drive revenue, but also cost avoidance. And so being able to pull on all three of those levers is going to be important in the near term, given the payment landscape, to make the financial sustainability case. From a business perspective and making the business case, 
It's also going to come down to what models of care you're looking at and how you resource those models. So partnerships is one piece. And there's a great example that we shared through the Strategy Accelerator out of Indiana University. So they have a hospital at home program, but even though they've got the Medicare acute care waiver, they actually chose because of provider constraints to do almost everything virtually. So they're leveraging a virtual platform to do, like I said, almost everything care at home. And so they're not getting paid for it under that Medicare acute care waiver. They're making the case for it out of capacity. They had some plans before COVID, but really it got stood up during COVID and with COVID patients as really their first diagnoses. But thinking about that, even just using hospital at home, because everyone's probably very familiar with it at this point, are you going to do it with a provider-centric model where you're putting physicians in the home every day doing at least one daily visit plus the two nursing visits? Are you going to do more of a hybrid where maybe the physician is remote but the nurse is in person, or are you going to go totally virtual or any spectrum in between? And there's a whole range. So thinking about those models and how you're going to resource them. So resourcing, are you going to use your doctors or your nurses, or is your partner going to resource some of that? When you start to think about hospital at home, for instance, resourcing phlebotomy and some of the other ancillary services and things that need to happen in the home, is that going to be your organization or are you going to subcontract it? So those become some of the business model decisions that can help you get to sustainability. And then the economies of scale piece and a leverage, one of the case studies we shared, Unity Point is an organization that's got programs in primary care at home, SNF at home, hospital at home, and they really leverage that primary care at home across all three. And so their primary care at home could be more longitudinal services for patients who are struggling. They could be referred from primary care, but it can also be used to support post-acute in that 30-day or 60-day episode after hospital at home to help make sure that that patient is really on the road to recovery and doesn't end up as a readmission. They actually, when they started looking at it from that 30-day episode, saw their readmission rates plummet in their hospital at home patients. Yeah. So it just shows you that economy of scale. And for them and what they talked about when we interviewed them is it was really important across their different levels of care that they're providing in the home. That team that they call their primary care at home team could be cross-leveraged for all of it. So they could flex the team across it. So even from a workforce perspective, to be able to say, you're just providing care in the home whatever that patient needs. They have, and the team has the know-how to hit those lower acuity disease management needs versus the higher acuity coming out of the hospital needs and everything in between. Thank you for sharing those use cases. I think it's really helpful for other providers to hear what's capable and the opportunities out there and how to frame the operational, the clinical, the financial, the business case for this. So Jamie, we want to thank you for your time. We appreciate you stopping by today. And for our listeners, we'll include access to additional resources from SG2 and Member Back Ventures on our podcast page. And we encourage you to continue turning into Member Back Ventures Venture Sprout Podcast. To learn more about MBV, check out the description notes within today's episode. I'm your host, Heather Ramirez. We'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.